So we've been in this series, and we've been walking through uh, the stories of Jesus as, as, we're, as we're going along, and Matthew uh, is, is, is giving us these stories, and he's telling us the stories and helping us to understand how Jesus lived his life and, and what he was walking through and, and where he was going. And uh, it's been phenomenal. I, one thing I love about the Bible is the more times you read it, the more depth you find in it. You can read the same stories again and again, and all of a sudden, you like wake up to something that you, you've missed all along. And this week was one of those moments for me, and uh, we're going to walk through that, that piece of the story as well. But let me do a quick recap to catch us all up so we see where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So Jesus comes on the scene in the world, and he comes announcing that the kingdom of God is here, which he's saying like the blessing of God is for all people. It's not reserved for a select group of people. Jesus keeps saying the kingdom of heaven is here. It's among you. It's within you. And he opens the door so that everybody knows everyone is welcome to the party when it comes to God. How awesome is that? So Jesus is announcing this, and it causes some people to get a little uncomfortable. Like, really, Jesus, everybody's welcome. Everyone's welcome. No one's excluded. And then in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, there's this, this picture that Jesus gives us of what it means to truly be human in God's kingdom. And we spent two weeks on it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard of it. It's Jesus' most famous teaching. And Jesus is saying the, the modus operandi, for, for the, the MO for a follower of Jesus, here it is. And he kind of lays it out. And it's this beautiful teaching. If, if, you, if you never read the Bible, I would encourage you, pick up Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and just read there. Just read it again and again and again until it gets into you. Um, so he, he does that. And then there are these stories of, of Jesus like welcoming everybody that others think should be excluded from the kingdom. All these great stories, and then Jesus begins to show that life with God is upside down. It's different than the world around you. And Jesus, uh, to this point, has been operating kind of under the radar, pretty quietly in, in, in the Middle Eastern world. And that all changes today. Like the stories that, we, that we're going to read today, that we're going to walk into today, it's like Jesus changes what he's been up to, uh, to to directly lead into what will be his death, his crucifixion, and then his resurrection. And so it all changes. So don't miss Jesus here. Don't, don't miss Jesus. Uh, as this clash of kingdoms begins to happen again and again. Are you ready? Okay. I got a few of you. I'm going to bring the other ones along as we go. So next Sunday is traditionally known as Palm Sunday. Have you heard of Palm Sunday? And oftentimes in churches, kids like run around the sanctuary waving these big palm branches. And uh, it's a great celebration and it's a great day. We're going to, we, because we're advanced here at McDowell, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Because we're an advanced group. You guys can handle being a week ahead, right? Because as we walk into this week, I want you to see what's, what's coming next week. And so here's what Matthew tells us. If you have your Bibles, it's Matthew chapter 21, that, that um, Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And he's riding on a what? For those of you, donkey. He's riding on a donkey, for those of you who, who remember the story. And it says that the entire city was in an uproar as Jesus entered. And they were asking, who is this? Because of what was going on around him, people waving the palm branches, and it says that they were actually laying like their, their cloaks down in front of him. And so others are wondering, like, who in the world is this guy? Like, who does he think he is? 
So there's this uproar going on and people wondering. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus. He's the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Which kind of means nothing to us. But what they were doing is they were pointing out exactly which Jesus. We're talking about Jesus' common name. So uh, they're, they're pointing out this is Jesus from Nazareth. He's a prophet. And, and this is in the region of Galilee, and, and he's arriving on the scene. Now, real quick, some background, just to give us a little bit of an image of, of what we see on, on Palm Sunday. Uh, in, in, the, in the ancient world, for Jewish people, like the, the highlight was not like the Masters Golf Tournament or Super Bowl Sunday. It was nothing like that, but the highlight for them every year was the Passover celebration. And so from all over that region, people would descend on Jerusalem, and they would spend a week plus in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to imagine, uh, Jerusalem, they say, was a city of about 50,000 people in this day. Um, on Palm Sunday and, and that Passover week, they would say that the, the population would swell to somewhere between, now catch this, 150,000 to 200,000 people. Now, from from a city that has infrastructure for 50,000 to a city of 200,000 is a big change. Can you imagine like the, the people on top of people on top of people? On, um, some of you won't get this, but I grew up in Alabama. And there's this thing called the Iron Bowl. And like there's bowl games that... that everybody else recognizes, and then there's the Iron Bowl, and it's the most important bowl, and every year the same two teams are in it. And it doesn't matter the national championship, the Iron Bowl is what's most important. And so in, in Opelika and Auburn, Alabama, these two little bitty cities, which are small cities, like the population begins to grow. The, the year I graduated from high school, um, they say uh, that, that uh, Auburn, which sat about 96,000 people in the stadium, the, the stadium was sold out. And then Tuscaloosa, where the University of Alabama plays, at that time there was probably about 50,000 to 60,000 in the stadium, sold out for them to watch it on closed captioning from, from Auburn. And 30,000 people were outside of the stadium trying to buy tickets on the, on the streets. Like the, the population grew. It was the best place in the world to be. And I was on the 50-yard line. I wasn't, but it would have been awesome. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's that kind of thing where, where everybody gathers. And, and you can imagine when everybody gathers in one place, the energy level is heightened. People are, you know, in Auburn, they're like, it's, it's time to defeat the giant, right? It's time to bring down the Crimson Tide. I mean, Alabama, they've won way too many times. It's time to bring them down. Can I get an amen in the room, right? And so imagine, uh, and I know we're not in Alabama, but you're with me, right? You understand. Um, so, yes. Thank you. Um, so, in Jerusalem, when all of these Israelites and Jews gather in Jerusalem, they are heightened. Their, their, their awareness, their excitement is heightened but here, it's not for a game. It's not even so much for um, the, the coming of Jesus. It's for a defeat of the Roman Empire. Are you with me? Like, they, they, they believe that the Romans are oppressing them, are holding them captive. They, they believe the Romans have come in and, and taken their land, and so they want to rise again. 
and, and, and defeat uh, the, the Roman powers that be. And so, you know, those palm branches that are waved, and we think, oh, what a peaceful thing. That's so pretty, like the palm branches that are waved. But for, for, for a Jewish uh, person in the first century, those palm branches represented the nation of Israel, and they represented victory, God's victory. And what they thought Jesus was coming to do was, was to, in some sort of way, a, a, a military experience to come in and rid the lands of the Romans. That's what they were excited about. And so they are cheering for Jesus. He is the Savior. When they say Messiah, that, that word literally means save us. Save us from what? Save us from the Romans. Give us victory once again. So Jesus rides into town. And all of this excitement, all of these expectations are placed right on Jesus. And what we find in the following stories is Jesus again and again and again saying, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not what you expect. My, my kingdom is not one of power and might in a worldly way. My kingdom is one of the spirit and one of great love and grace. I mean, that's, that's Jesus like reminding us that the ways of the world are so different than, than the ways of Jesus. Now, the first place that Jesus goes the first place that he goes when he comes into Jerusalem is the temple because this was the center of the religious and, and, and political world would, would have been right here around the temple. So Jesus goes into the temple, he enters the temple, and he begins to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. And he knocks over the tables of the money changers and those selling doves, which is a really strange little piece of information that Matthew gives us. Have you ever read something in the Bible and you wondered, what in the world does that mean? Like, why would he turn over the tables of those selling doves? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And you just kind of read past it and think it doesn't mean anything. It's just a detail. But it's not just a detail. This is angry Jesus who comes into the temple and he is ticked off. And so he starts throwing table. I thought about throwing this table to wake some of you up. <laughs> But then I didn't want to hit somebody, and then I've got, you know, lawsuits and stuff. So um, Jesus is ticked off, and he throws the tables down. And, and you know what he's most mad about? He's most mad that when all of these people are coming to connect with God because they want to reconnect with, with the God that they love, that there are people standing in the way. The money changers are here taking advantage of those who have come to town to line their own pockets, to, to, to create a profit over God. And the, the detail about the doves, why did Jesus go to the table with the doves? Like, what's up with doves? Is Jesus anti-birds? I mean, he created them. He didn't have to create doves. Why did he go to the table with the doves? Why did he turn over that table? Well, if, if you're a family who's traveled from a long distance and you didn't have any animals to bring as your sacrifice and you really believed that the sacrifice was the only way that you could get right with God and you didn't have enough money to buy a lamb because a lamb was expensive... You know what's cheap? Doves are cheap. You can find them anywhere. In fact, there's pigeons all around my house. You can have them anytime you want. <laughs> I won't even charge you to come, to, to come get them. But in the, in the temple, there were people selling doves, taking advantage of the poorest of the poor. And it kept people away from God. And Jesus is ticked about it. Anything that keeps other people away from God 
Jesus doesn't want anything to do with that because that's not what the kingdom's like. The kingdom's open for everyone. Come on, amen, somewhere. Amen. I mean, it's open for everyone. And so anything that keeps people away. So Jesus is ticked about that. And then uh, Jesus leaves the city. He sleeps. And then there's a story about a fig tree. Have you ever read the story about the fig tree? Crazy story if you're following along in uh, Matthew chapter 21. Jesus gets up. He's, it's early in the morning. And they, they're going back to Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus is hungry. And he looks at a fig tree. And he sees a fig tree. And it's got all these leaves on it. And he goes over and he starts looking in the fig tree. And there's no figs. And so Jesus curses the fig tree. He's like, may you never produce figs again. And the fig tree immediately withers up. And then the story continues. What in the world is going on in these little stories? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And does Jesus, he doesn't like doves. Now he doesn't like fig trees. That's really strange. Figs are good sometimes, maybe. And so why did he curse the fig tree? Was Jesus hangry like my middle schooler gets? Was he just hangry and he didn't know what to do with it? He couldn't manage his anger and so he just curses the fig tree. I, all, I have all these questions as I'm reading through and this is the thing I've never understood until this week. In the Old Testament, uh, the prophets often referred to the Jewish nation as a fruit tree. And the picture was that, that God planted this fruit tree in order to provide life through the fruit to the world at large. Does that make sense? So, so, so God's tree, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, was to produce fruit which would be life-giving to the nations, all the nations. And so Jesus goes to this tree that looks like it has life because there's leaves on it, but there's no figs to be found. And when Jesus curses that fig tree, he's pronouncing something about Jews and the Jewish nation. He's saying, you were created to provide and, and, and give life to the world, and you have failed at what God created you to do. Like, it's, it's a proclamation. It doesn't have anything really to do with just the tree. He's just saying, like, you've, you've missed what God has called you to do. So you see how it's like again and again and again, like these, these competing kingdoms, this clash of kingdoms. Now, real quick, don't miss this. It is tempting for us to believe that as long as we can align all the externals of our lives, that we're good with God. Now, come on, this could hurt a little bit. It's tempting for us to believe that as long as we can ex like align the externals of our lives, that, that God's good with us. And come on, we've, we all play the game. As long as I show up at church, maybe I give some money, learn some things. As long as I'm a nice person, the externals. I don't really have to love anyone as long as I act like I love someone. Come on, you, are you with me? And, and that's what Jesus is like. He's saying it's not about just the externals because the, the, the religious leaders had all the externals down, but there was something missing, and it was their heart. Their heart wasn't in it. They didn't really love God. They loved the positions that they were in. So then we have this series of, um, series of stories of these kingdoms that are just clashing again and again and again and again. Jesus' authority is questioned. He tells a story about the evil farmers. I'm not even going to tell you about all these stories because I want you to read them this week. I mean, there's just such power when you begin to see what Jesus is doing. He's telling these stories. Things are happening. He tells a story about a great feast, which is one of my favorite stories because it's about a meal. 
And he says that there's this rich man who, who wants to throw a party. He invites all these people. They say they're going to come. They say they're going to be a part of the, the, the great feast. But then when it's time, they actually all have excuses of why they can't show up. You remember this story? And so God says, well, go invite other people. And they can't find anybody. He's going, go, to the, go everywhere and, and invite everyone in to the feast. Right? It's, it's him again saying, like, the doors are open wide to everyone. And you've been handed something like don't do something about it. Don't waste what you've been given. Then there's a question about taxes. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Or like who's, Jesus gets this coin and does this brilliant kind of twist on, on what's going on. And he says, whose face is on it? Caesar's. Okay, we'll give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. You know what he's talking about? He's not talking about money. He's talking about hearts. Talking about your heart, like don't fail to give God your heart. That's, that's what's most important. It's not about the money. It's, it's about the heart. And then we come to one of the most famous teachings. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. One of them, an expert in the law. As all of this is taking place and as Jesus knows he's about to be put to death. What began as a week of great excitement ends in his death because there is this shift in understanding that, that the kingdom God is up to is not the kingdom that we thought it was going to be. I, I, like, I hope we, we see some, some similarities in our world today with what was going on then. I, I hope we understand the significance of what Jesus is teaching here. So this expert in the religious law comes to Jesus, and he, he's trying to trap him, and he says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? I mean, it's a trick question, because you can't just pick one. They're all important. There's 613 in the, in, in the Torah, and they're, they're all important, right? So you can't just pick one, and Jesus quickly says, no, no, no. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Your heart, your soul, and your mind. In other words, everything you got. Love God with everything you got. And a second is equally important. I love that Jesus does this. A, a, a second commandment, it's not just that first one, but a second one is tied. It's equally important. Here is love your neighbor as yourself. You guys remember these two, like key, like the center of everything? And then Jesus goes on to say, like everything rests on how we do at these two. Jesus is inviting us to swim against the current of our world and swim against the current of religion. And, and, and he's inviting us, you know, to, to enter into this kingdom, which is marked and ruled by love. Not jumping through hoops, not cleaning up the externals so that we look a certain way, but he's inviting us against the current of religion and the world at large to, to, to step into a kingdom marked by love and ruled by love. And it's so different than the world that we normally experience. It's one of grace and mercy and hope and peace and all of those things that Jesus comes back to again and again and again. And you want to hear the good news that's in this? I, I, I read this in the last couple of weeks. And I think this, this is just good news for us is that entry into the kingdom isn't based on achievement or knowledge or superiority, or merit. Isn't that good news? That entry isn't based on those kinds of things. Look, it, it, rather, it requires humility to think again. 
to engage our minds and hearts to become teachable. Remember when Jesus said, like, the children get into the kingdom first? It, it requires us to become like children again, to become teachable and moldable and shapeable by the Spirit of God and to receive God's forgiveness and reconciling grace. Like a runaway child who returns home to a father who scoops him up in his arms and surrounds him with his love and welcomes him back into the family. Like that's, that's the kingdom of God that we're all invited to be a part of. And so often we just play the games. We, 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 we play the games of image management and we fool ourselves into thinking we're living a life that we actually on the inside don't want. Because who wants to give up control? Who wants to let loose on, on the direction that we have for our own lives? I mean, who, who in their right mind would step into a world like that? And Jesus says, you've got, you've got, you've got to die to yourself and live once again in a new way to God. Are you, are you, are you still with me? So, then Jesus just rants on the religious leaders. And I want you just to see a couple things that he says. Because here's all the religious leaders who are doing things for show, who are actually keeping people away. And he says this, everything they do is for show. They shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, and they themselves won't even go in. Now, come on. Like, if, if that's us, what an indictment on us. To say to other people, you can't get in because you're not doing what I think you need to do to be able to be accepted by God. And God is saying, no, 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 everyone's accepted. So swing wide the doors of the kingdom and welcome as many people who honestly want to get there as possible, right? Like swing wide. Don't shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's places. Don't, don't keep people out. And, and then Jesus, he doesn't quit there. Listen to this. He says, you travel over land and sea to make a single convert. Listen to what he says. And then you make them twice the sons of hell that you yourselves are. He calls them sons of hell. He calls them sons of hell. The religious leaders. Do you get the power of what? Can you imagine what the religious leaders are thinking at this point? Like, no, no, no. We have all the answers. Are you still wondering why Jesus was put to death? Because he is like coming after them. Because he honestly wants us to experience God. He honestly wants us to know God's love and his grace. And not just us, but everyone. Twice the, I love that one. Twice the, the child of hell that you are. And then, he, and then he says you're like whitewashed tombs. Like cleaned on the outside, full of dead bones on the inside. <laughs> you clean the outside of the cup, but on the inside of the cup you're filthy like a cup of coffee that's been sitting in your house for a week. There's mold on the top. You're, you're going to have to scrub it to get, get it clean. You get it, right? Jesus just goes off on them. And it's all because you, you get trapped into the systems of the world and you fail to understand the kingdom of God. It's why Paul, one of the very first Christians, he said this, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Now, this one's tough if, if we're honest. This one's tough. Don't become so well-adjusted to what's going on all around you that you fit in without even thinking about it. But instead, fix your mind on God, who will change you from the inside out. We tend to want to change from the outside in. 
Like if I do all the right things, it must mean that I'm different on the inside. But that's not how it is in the kingdom. Again, it's upside down. Like God wants to change us from what's in the heart and the mind and the soul. He wants to change us from there, which then becomes evident in the way that we live our lives. It's very different than what we do in the world. The greatest pursuit in life, according to Jesus, is to give yourself completely to the God who loves you unconditionally. Don't you love that line? The the greatest pursuit in life, according to Jesus, is to give yourself completely to the God who loves you unconditionally. And then, as a reflection of that, that love, to love others unconditionally who are all around you in your everyday life. It's the greatest pursuit in life, and it's the game changer for what it means to be in the kingdom. I want you to think for a moment of the people you love the most. And maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a group of one or two or three And I want you to think about what you would be willing to do for those people. If one of them uh, was in a a terrible car accident today, was rushed to the hospital, what would you do? You'd go visit them. You'd show up. And, and you would do whatever you needed to do to take care of what's going on around them, wouldn't you? I mean, the people that you love the most, not the people you kind of love. I mean, the people that you love the most. The people that you love the most, if, if, if they lost their job and, and they didn't have a, a house to live in, they lost everything, what would you, what would you do? You, you would open up your, your spare bedroom and, and, and you wouldn't charge them rent. They're your children, for goodness sake. That's what they do. They come home. They're homeless. You you would give them a place to stay. You'd give them a place at your table, wouldn't you? And Jesus says this is the best way to live in the world. But not just for the inner circle, but for everyone. Can you imagine a world... That, that lives like that. Can you imagine people who experience that kind of love? Can you imagine how much better this world would be if, if just those who claim to be Christian would be ruled by love? And that's what Jesus keeps saying. So what's the greatest pursuit of life? What's the greatest commandment in life? It is to love the Lord your God with everything you've got, to throw yourself full bore into His love. And then, as a reflection of that, to love those around us, to let it spill out over onto those who are all around us. So as the bands come in both the rooms and we have just a final moment of worship, I want to ask you a, a tough question. Have you, have you made a decision, a, a, a real and specific decision, have you made a decision to turn around from the direction of your life, to, to turn around 
and step over the line into the kingdom of God? Have you made that decision? Have you, have you not, have you come to the place where you're not going to rely on your own achievements and knowledge and, and goodness to get right with God, but have you fully leaned into His great love for you? Like when you're dating, you, you call it a, a, a DTR, define the relationship moment. You know what I mean? Like, where are we here? And Jesus invites us to do that. Like, to, to turn around. In, in, in the Gospels, the word is repent, but it, it literally means just to turn around and step into the kingdom of God, and, and we're all welcome. So as the band sings... Um, I hope you'll wrestle with that question. And the good news is you can take that step here, at home, at work. Uh, I remember one of my kids uh, did it on the playground of his school. Kind of a crazy story, but he just made a decision. He said, that's when I stepped into faith. On a bench all by myself during recess. You can do it anywhere, at any time. Some of us need to do it every morning. Am I right? (laughs) To make that decision to, to trust what we can't do on our own.